Lord Jesus Christ, suffering servant of God, Lamb of God. We pray that you will open our eyes to your word this morning and our hearts to receive it and our wills to put it into practice. For we ask it in your name. Amen. We are halfway through our 13-week journey in the book of the prophet Isaiah, leading us up to Easter. And Easter will be a time when we see so many of Isaiah's prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Our reading from this morning, chapter 42, is one of four servant songs in Isaiah, sometimes called the songs of the suffering servant because of what he'll have to go through on our behalf. In Isaiah, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, as well as in other parts of the Old Testament, we have some amazing pictures of Jesus and of what he will do when he comes. As a servant of God, who will Jesus be? The nation of Israel were God's intended servant to the world but they failed in that task they disobeyed God even though they thought themselves better than other nations they proved themselves to be no better they broke God's laws and they worshipped false gods of the people around them God's new servant presented to us in Isaiah will be all that Israel was not. He'll be true to his mission as God's agent in the world. Verse 1 presents to us the servant as someone close to God the Creator, loved by him and filled with his spirit. Jesus shared fully in the nature of God along with the Holy Spirit. So he's the ideal person to accomplish God's purposes in the world. What will he do? Isaiah says, he will bring justice to the nations. And the word for justice here, the Hebrew mispat, has a very special meaning. It's not like our idea of fairness in the legal sense. It's rather more putting things right, making everything just, by the means of God's truth and revealing God's plan for the world to all people, not just to Israel. The work of the servant over time will ultimately fix the world. The world then and our world today certainly needs to be fixed. So what will the future servant be like? In verses 2 and 3, we learn that he's not going to be loud-mouthed, he's not going to be pushing himself forward, but he will be gentle. Isaiah says, he won't even snap a damaged reed or snuff out 
a spluttering candle. Perhaps you may feel or may have felt like that on occasions, so close to snapping or so bruised or just feeling somehow that your light is burning dim, just managing by the skin of your teeth. There are words here to encourage us. Jesus is a humble king, not demanding. He's coming to serve, to bind up the wounded, to encourage the struggling, and to blaze his trail for fallible human beings to enter into God's perfect kingdom. And in verse 4, we read, as well as revealing God's plan to the world, again we have that word justice, through his teaching, he will bring hope to the furthest corners of the earth. The word here, the coastlands, stand for the most remote places on earth. Today, Jesus is acknowledged by many, many people as the greatest teacher the world has ever known. But they stop there. Some people say they can't believe that Jesus was God, but they admire his teaching and they try to put it into practice. But that's not enough. We need his power, the power that he came to release into our lives, the power of God to follow his teaching fully. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootlaces. Verses 5 to 7 begin a new section. And these are words of God addressed directly to his coming servant. At the same time, God reminds the reader that he's the creator of the whole universe. He's the sustainer of all life including ours, by his power. And so God says here, he has called his servant and he'll walk alongside him to empower him. That partnership of Jesus and his Father fulfilling that prophecy. And he will be an instrument of a new covenant between God and not just Israel, but all people. The covenant God made originally with Israel has been broken so many times and failed. That covenant is now going to be extended to people of all nations. He will bring the light of God's truth to Jews and non-Jews. Everyone is included. Lack of knowledge of God is a kind of darkness or blindness. But Jesus will come as God's servant to open our eyes to the reality of God's truth and to free those who are imprisoned by sin and ignorance of God. In Jesus, God is preparing an earth-shattering new chapter in the history of the world. And after his coming, nothing will ever be the same. At this point when Isaiah is writing, the people of Israel had gone into exile. So firstly here, God promises a different servant, an ordinary human servant. 
That will be Cyrus, the Mede. And that emperor would be God's instrument to come soon and cause the Jews to return back from exile. So in the short term, here is hope for the captive people of Israel. But finally, and more importantly, God promises that his servant Jesus will come and bring light in the darkness for all who turn to him. That is turning literally and figuratively too from idols or false gods of any kind to the true and living God and putting him in the centre of our lives. And so verses 10 and following overflow into praise invited from all people who are prepared to respond to Jesus' call to renounce false gods or false values and trust the living God. Jesus will be God's spearhead in the battle against evil, selfishness, sin and death. For the people of Isaiah's day, these promises were for the future and the world had to wait whilst God prepared the way for his son to come and inaugurate his new kingdom of justice, peace and love. Today we are privileged in being able to look back on the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies in the life and death of Jesus and enter into a new relationship with God through him and be part of the process which is still going on of bringing God's justice, fixing our world. Our response to Jesus is key to being a part of God's plan for the world rather than sharing the fate of false gods or false values which verse 17 says will be revealed for what they are worthless distractions keeping us away from the fullness of life which Jesus came to offer our world today in spite of all its sophistication on the outside, it's not all that different from the world of Isaiah's day because the human heart hasn't changed. And when people turn their backs on God and follow their own selfish ways, we get conflict instead of harmony, fear instead of peace, injustice instead of fairness, and hate instead of love. Jesus, God's suffering servant, came not just to show us a better way, not just to show us God's truth about the way we should live, but to blaze a trail for us to enter into a personal relationship with the living God, a relationship which is empowered by Jesus' victory over evil, resurrection power, brought into our lives by the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah, God is recognized as the only one who can give and sustain a worthwhile life for all. If we want to get the most out of God's gift of life, we need to follow Jesus. The prophet Isaiah says, Jesus will open blind eyes 
literally, but also figuratively. He'll enable us to see the truth about God, about how life needs to be lived, transformed by his power to be more and more like Jesus himself. The coming of Jesus has changed the world, so things will never be quite the same as before he came. His death and rising from the dead that first Easter releases God's power, mediated by the Holy Spirit, into the lives of all who turn to him. And that power is not just for our personal benefit to transform our lives. Its purpose is also to equip us to be effective servants of the servant king and to be Jesus' agents of transformation in the world around us.